Acts chapter number one, I am preaching through the book of Acts. It is a long series of messages, but I'm just calling it the continuing acts of the Holy Spirit. The continuing acts of the Holy Spirit. And today I want to um, hopefully just, there's some folks got just a bit confused uh, the other morning about uh, the baptism. It was right on money. It was a target sermon there wasn't anything wrong with the sermon. Sometimes it's wrong with our interpretation. So I will not deal with that today other than just briefly so you can kind of put it in Holy Spirit order as it ought to be arranged like the Bible arranges it. So in Acts chapter 1, I want you to look at verse number 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. But wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? God didn't really want to talk about that. That's not what he had on his mind. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Probably there's a whole lot of folks who went a whole lot more folks to Christ if all they did was get their nose out of the prophecy books. Most of it's wrong anyway. Some people adds to it, takes away from it, and that's dangerous. But look what Jesus had in mind. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. I want us to pray today, but I'm going to preach on this subject. Have you been baptized? Have you been baptized? baptized. Let's pray. Father, help us today as we study a subject that gets confusing to some people. It's, you've made it very clear to us if we just study the Bible. So God, I pray today as we bring familiar scriptures to their minds that it will become a familiar doctrine and they just, um, they won't have to think about it when they talk about it. They won't have to think about what you're doing. They know what you're doing and what you're up to and how things is falling out in the arrangement of the work of the Holy Ghost. Now, Lord, I pray for your power to preach because I have no power. I pray, God, that you might give me that strength, that voice, that mind, because I have little mind to preach. So, God, I pray that you might come today. There's one thing I do have. I have a heart to preach. And so, God, if you'll develop that, burst through it today, and let us preach the word where you're glorified and where you convict in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, one of our men was actually trying to pay me a compliment, and he said, you may not be the best preacher, but you know where the best preachers are and bring them to us. 
Now, it was supposed to have been a compliment, encouragement, and I took it that way, but I did think the wording of it was kind of, you know, humorous to me. So, uh, what I'm hearing from everybody about these conferences is don't quit. I'm getting... Uh, just from the preachers that came and preached, from preachers who just attended it from across uh, Alabama and, and, and down in Georgia and some places like that, they call me and say, Brother Glenn, don't quit doing it. Don't quit doing it. And so we're not going to quit as long as God gives us grace and finances. And you're right. I may not be the best preacher, but I know a whole lot of them that are, all right? So I'll bring you the best preachers in America If you'll come to this conference every year, I promise you I'll get the very best preachers that I can get to bring in here and you hear preach. You don't realize, you don't realize that you've got a package of six the last two years that most churches would die to have them in their church. And I thank God he's blessed us, amen, and give us some friendships with some good men of God. So let's look today at the subject in Acts chapter 1. Have you been baptized? Now, baptism is a word we understand mostly by picture, like we've seen this morning, rather than promise. The word baptism is a word to make whelmed, to saturate, to be totally and completely immersed. It's the word that means to be enveloped. That is the word. That's what baptism means. So if you go to a church that sprinkles, that's not Bible. If anybody's listening on the radio, that's not Bible. You cannot, you just can't get somebody in a little old bowl and dip them in it. They won't resurrect. Well, you know, I just don't know how you do it. I was preaching in a church that did that one time. They said, would you baptize? I said, I'm not baptizing. I said, that's not baptizing. Say, why is it not? I said, I never would get some of my folks there a little on the heavy side. I'd never get them in that little old bowl down there. I'm not going to baptize like that because Jesus didn't say do that. And so the Bible says that John had to have water. And the eunuch said, here's much water. What does it be to be baptized? Folks, when you baptize, there's got to be enough water that there can be the death, burial, and resurrection pictured and also know the promise. So let's look at it today. It is used three ways in the Bible. Um, Holy Spirit, or this matter of baptism, is used three ways. First of all, it's used symbolic. Write that down. It's important. Symbolically, it is water baptism. Water baptism is used symbolically in the Bible. Oh, no, you've got to be baptized to be saved. Did Jesus, did Jesus do it? He, he was without sin. Why did he get baptized? He said to fulfill all prophecy. So he was giving them a pre-type. He was giving them a pre-picture of a promise he was going to do to everyone who received him. John the Baptist preached the baptism of repentance. In other words, he's saying, I'm getting the way ready for Jesus to come into your life. So that's, it's the symbolic way where uh, this act where only real believers, only converted sinners are immersed as an outward symbol of an inward salvation. 
Now, folks, you can get baptized you look like a tadpole. It don't matter to God. Here's what matters to God, that you've got something on the inside called the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and you've got that. Water cannot do that for you. So it's symbolic. No one in the New Testament, though, by the way, who was saved ever refused baptism. You notice that? There was nobody that had to think about it. There was nobody that had to pray about it. There was nobody that had to wait on it. When they got saved, they just got baptized. It was, if you read the Bible, you will not find anybody that refused to be baptized. Right? So it, it's symbolic. Secondly, it's used in the way of suffering. This is what Harold was talking about the other day. The way of suffering. Look at Matthew chapter 20. We'll be a little slower today. Um, uh, I'm slow. At least that's what people say. They, they whisper, said he's slow. I assume that's uh, not, not a compliment either. Matthew chapter 20. Don't you look. Verse number 22, Matthew 20, verse 22. And she said to her, what wilt thou? Harold referred to the scripture, he didn't read it. She saith unto him, grant that these my two sons may sit the one on the right hand, the other on the left in my kingdom. Now this is the mother of Zebedee's children who is James and John, right? So look, but Jesus answered and said, you, don't, you know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I should drink of, be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They say unto him, we are able. Were they wrong? No. No. Look, he said to them, you shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them whom is prepared for my father. When he says to them, here, I know you don't have the right attitude about this thing. You're all glorified up. You're all got your head all puffed up. But I'm telling you, I didn't come down here to set you on the right hand or the left hand, but I'll guarantee you one thing, if you've been saved and you follow me you will be baptized with fire if you're saved you're going to be baptized with fire now that there's there's two kinds of the baptism of fire some people misunderstand that but what he's talking about here when he says you're going to drink of the same cup that i am this is a repeated thing in many people's lives It's not something that just click, click happens and it's over with and it's done and I don't have any more suffering in my life. Not true. Some people have to go several fires because they have so much power. God is just blessing them with so much power in their life and God is using them in areas where he couldn't use anybody else that God has to set them to some fire sometimes to keep them on fire for him. Y'all with me? So uh, I, I think At least one fire, if you're saved, you're going through. It may be long. It may be short. It may be lesser than some or harder than some. But if you're saved, you're going to go through the fire. You're going to have something happen with your children. You're going to have something happen in your family. You're going to have something happen on the job. You're going to have something happen financially. You may have something physically. But sooner or later, you're going in the fire. If you're saved, when you signed up for Jesus, you signed up to go through 
the fire. Uh, you, you say, what does that mean when he uses baptism of fire? That means you're covered up in it. You <laughs> can't get out of it. You're enveloped by fire. You're enveloped by suffering. Can't get out of it. Can't pray your way out of it. Can't preach your way out of it. Can't confess your way out of it. You're baptizing fire. Did the cup that Jesus drank out of, did he do that because he had any sin? No, no. He said, so you're able to drink of that same cup. He said, you are able, but they did have sin. And so sometimes those of us with sin has to go through the more fire than just one. But the baptism is used of symbolically. It's also used suffering. It's also used of the spirit in our text today uh, like it's used in Acts chapter 1. This baptism was as real as John's water baptism, but distinct from it. In other words, when John immersed someone, the immersion of the Holy Spirit was just as real spiritually as his was physically. Are y'all hearing this? You see, I, I ask you, have you been baptized? Oh, you said, I've been baptized four times at Hillcrest. Some of you may even be following that up the line. You may have six or seven of them. I don't know. But you can have all you want, and that won't save you. That's not what he's talking about, Acts chapter 1. Not at all. He's talking about the Holy Ghost. That's what he's talking about. This baptism, uh, wants you, God wants you to know that you can be enveloped, that you can be covered with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Does that not excite you? You see, it's not done in a baptistry. It is not done by a preacher. It cannot be photographed. You won't even get wet, but he'll baptize, envelop you, cover you by the Holy Ghost. That's what he says right here. I'll be simple today. I'll give you three points. Number one, the baptism's promise. Number two, the baptism's power. And number three, the baptism's purpose. So stay with me. I may in, in a few places kick it in gear pretty fast. First of all, there's the baptism promise. That's in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, that the promise is for believers. This is a believer promise. The baptism promised is for believers. In other words, it is a conditional promise. Some promises are unconditional. It doesn't matter what you do. God's going to do what he's going to do because God's promised to do it. When God promises to do it, you can be sure he will. But some are conditional. That means that in this particular case, that you've got to repent of your sin and you've got to receive what Jesus Christ did on Calvary that was enough to pay for your sin and that three days later he walked out of that tomb or right through the wall of that tomb. They didn't open the, they didn't roll the rock away to let him out. They rolled the rock away to tell him he's already gone. And you've got to believe that if you want to get this baptism. It was promised by John in Matthew 3. And, and I don't want, to, I want you to flip over there because you're going to see a second way that it's used. And somebody gets these to sometimes confused. 
Matthew 3, and I'm trying to help you today, not hurt you. I know when I'm screaming, you think that I'm mad. I'm not mad at you. I'm just screaming at you. That's all. <laughs> the Bible said Jesus cried with a loud voice. I'm doing that too. I'm going to do that the rest of my life. Uh, sometimes I don't have much voice, but what I got, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scream her out. Now, I want you to notice what, what, he, what he says here in Matthew 3, verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. That's what John said. Is that what we said? Yeah. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. That with is not in the original text. It was just added by the translators to make the flow, okay? So let me go to 12. Whose fan is in his hand... And he will thoroughly purge his floor, gather his wheat into the garner, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. There is the fire of suffering that all real believers, if you want the power of God, if you want to have God on you, you go through the power of suffering. But this is the power of damnation, the fire of damnation. It's different. Keep them separate. When he says here, he makes it very clear in verse 12, he's going to do both. He's going to come and baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Now, he wasn't talking about the fire, I don't think, here, like we was talking about Matthew 20, because they wouldn't have had a clue what he was talking about, but they are. But he is telling them there's another fire. If you reject Jesus Christ, you're going to get baptized. You're going to get baptized, but you're going to get baptized in fire. You say, what does that mean? It will envelop you. It will cover you. Ooh, isn't that scary? To know that fire absolutely will cover you throughout eternity. God says he comes to do that. So, it was promised by John. This is a promise Jesus spoke of. And though uh, God, uh, the Father in the Old Testament, and now Jesus is to come to teach it. Now, you remember the prerequisite for the promise to be given? The only way the promise could come is that Jesus went. Y'all remember that? And so, in John chapter 16, verse number 7, he describes his departure or his ascension. And then in verse number 10 of John 16, he describes the delay or the waiting. And then in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 20, his Holy Spirit power in them confirmed. That means after Pentecost, when Pentecost comes, it confirmed to them that Jesus was in heaven. Heaven and heaven was in him. Y'all get that? That's what, that's what he tried to t- tell people all along. So it was promised by John. It was preached by Peter. Acts chapter 2, go there with me. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. I'll probably preach a whole sermon on, on this later on. But Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And if you ever run to some church of Christ or, or, or uh, uh, real strong Christian churches that's up in the Kentucky area and places like that, you'll hear, uh, you'll hear this passage more than any other. They'll prove their points with one passage. Problem is, they don't read before it, they don't read after it. I, I'm just telling it like it is. Then Peter said to them, verse 38, and verse 37, they were pricked in their heart by the preaching. 
All right? Verse 38, because they've gotten convicted, he said, repent, be baptized, every one of you, comma. This is the way, this is the way it should read if, they, if, if their um, grammar was like ours. There, there would, there, all the quotation marks and all the commas and the periods would, would sometimes be different. And so here it is a place where it was. Repent, comma, it's there, and be baptized every one of you, comma, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They stop for the remission of sins, but it doesn't say that the water will give you some remission of sins. It says the name of Jesus Christ will. And then, hey, don't quit on me. Don't you quit on me that believe that water will save you. You listen to me driving down the road this morning. I got something to say to you. I got something to say to you. Why do you stop there? Why do you not talk about the Holy Ghost after it? Huh? Huh? Tell me. Why don't you talk about the Holy Ghost after it? God wasn't after you just to get you wet. Folks, if that's the case, I'd bring my 357 baptize every one of you today. But I'm telling you, that's not what God was after. God was after Holy Ghost conviction and yes, they needed to be baptized in water and they were baptized in water as an outward picture to an inward salvation. No one was ever baptized until they were saved. Pete, you remember, you remember there in, uh, uh, about the Philip, uh, Ethiopian eunuch and they wouldn't even baptize him unless he believed. Mm-mm. You got to get that cleared up first. So it was promised by John, it was preached by Peter, it was performed in the Gentiles. Acts chapter 11, verse 14 through 18, Peter goes down to Cornelius' house. Remember what happens? All of a sudden, the very same thing that happened on the day of Pentecost happened there in Cornelius' house. The Holy Ghost fell on them. Now listen to me, this is not evidence of your salvation to speak in tongues. All right? This is a transition event. You don't find this event happening at the point. It's a transition event. The Bible says in Acts, and we'll talk about this in Acts chapter 2, but every man heard them speak in his own language. It wasn't an ecstatic utterance. And people today who claim to speak in tongues, and it's an ecstatic utterance, they don't know what they're saying. I'm telling you, that ain't of God. No, 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 that ain't of God. Folks, a man in his right mind knows what he's saying. Better be careful kicking your mind out of gear and let the devil talk. Somebody might be there that can interpret it when they do. You might not like what what you hear. Be careful because it was performed in the Gentiles so that Peter and Paul and all the rest of them, Paul, could send word back to Jerusalem saying, wait a minute, we got something going on down here. The Gentiles are getting saved. Well, that, no, Gentiles can't get saved. Yes, they did. The very same thing that happened on the day of Pentecost happened right here in the Cornelius house. And the Holy Ghost fell on them just like he had promised. And he was performed in the Gentiles. It was pictured by Jesus. Look at John chapter 1. I hate to keep you flipping because I know y'all are tired, but anyway, it's just your fingers. When you get rheumatoid, even that's a problem, I understand. 
And John bear record saying, I saw, listen, John bears record. In other words, you can put it down in the court's record. He bears record. He bears record. The scripture tells us, verse 32, I saw the Spirit. I've never seen him. And I don't think anybody will ever see him again until we get to heaven. And then we'll see. I'll talk about it a little bit later. But look, he said, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. What in a dove? It's like a dove. A dove just gently comes down and settles upon the Lord Jesus Christ and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said to me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. You see, in another place, the Bible said it came down in bodily shape. Here's what happened. The Holy Ghost enveloped. Jesus Christ right before their very eyes so that they could know what would happen to them when they gave their heart to Christ that he would come and baptize us, envelop us, overwhelm us with the Spirit of God. He gave them the picture of it. So it was pictured by Jesus. And so not only was it a promise for believers, but it was a new birth promise. You say, well, when does this occur? Do I have to beg for it for 10 years? No, it occurs the day you get saved. In fact, it occurs the moment you get saved. It occurs the second you get saved. Provide, promised by the Father, but also promised by the Son. Now, notice that the Bible says the Holy Spirit is given, not prayed for. Yeah, yeah. Look, he doesn't say the Holy Spirit is pleaded for. He didn't say that you're slain like you're a dead man, that the Holy Spirit does that. He didn't say you'll bark like a dog or crow like a, like a rooster or try to talk God into performing some kind of deal with you to where you can do things other people don't go. Listen, God don't do that not in the Bible. That's something that somebody that didn't know the Bible just dreamed up. You see, this was the reason. Listen to me. John the Baptist went, saw, and all those that was there, multitudes there, saw the Holy Spirit ascending, descending upon Jesus, right? Descending upon Jesus, all right? I got that? All right, in Acts chapter 1, what else did they see? Now they see him ascending. Persuading yep. us away. So they, you say, well, what was that? this was the reason for the visible ascension and the visible uh, descension of the Holy Ghost because Jesus said, you know I'm back at home in heaven <laughs> and you... Now listen, you, you, this is going to blow your mind. When Jesus says, you know you're in heaven, I know I'm in heaven, but you're in heaven with me. You see, when you let Jesus Christ into your life, 
he raises you to where you sit in the heavenly. That's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He is at home in your heart when your heart is receptive to his hand. Mm. You say, I don't understand it. You know what? I don't either. And I'm, re- I'm a scholar and I don't understand it. But Shane's a scholar, he don't understand it. Harold Hunter's a scholar, he don't understand it. Brother Steve's a scholar, I think, but he don't understand it. Brother Mike's a scholar, I see it. Big letters, he understands it. No, he don't understand it. None of us understand it. None of us understand it. Do you? How in the world can a full-bodied man put himself in a short, flat-top-wearing little man and nobody see him dangling out? Let me, let me, let me explain it like this. You remember when, the, when we used to, the old refiners and the blacksmiths used to have their forge, Remember? And they had pedals on sometimes or cranks on them, and they would have a they'd get the coals real blazing hot. You remember that? And they would start to get red, and and, and when they got real red, he would take the piece of iron, whatever he was going to do with it, whatever he was going to shape it into, and he would put that iron into that fire. Now it took a while, but in a little while, that piece of metal that he stuck in to that flaming fire that he just kept pumping on or he just kept treading on after a while the metal is glowing just like the embers is glowing and so here's what happens the iron is in the fire and the fire is in the iron you see, that, that's what happens with Jesus Christ. You see, when he comes into our life, we're in Jesus Christ and he is in us. I can't get all that straightened out except I believe it with all my heart. So, it's performed. It's promised by John. It's preached by Peter. It's performed in the Gentiles. It's pictured by Jesus. And now it's a new birth promise. The day you got saved, you get it. John chapter 7, verse 37 and 39 is very, very clear that the Holy Ghost had not been given yet. It's always a gift. Hadn't been given yet. But when it is, and you drink of it, it will bubble up inside of you for everlasting life. This did not begin to happen till Pentecost. Y'all with me? It didn't begin to happen till Pentecost. Not that the Holy Ghost just, God had to create him to send him. He didn't. He's part of the Trinity, the Godhead. He is, it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. They perform their functions as they had decided in eternity past. And the Holy Spirit's function was never to draw light to himself, but to always draw light to Jesus. <laughs> you see, you, you can't just have a Holy Spirit meeting. You've got to have a Jesus meeting. And when you have a Jesus meeting, the Holy Spirit shows up. You all with me? And if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. Because I don't believe in that Holy Spirit stuff, then you're lost. 
You say, well, I believe. The Bible said you must be born again. That's exactly right. He said you must. And there's no other option. You must be born again. He goes on to say, some are born of flesh and some are born of the Spirit. That's two births. If I count right. Clinton, you're you're smart. I'm counting right. One, two. That's right. Y'all know I can go that far. One, two. One, two. And so, he wants us to know that the physical birth happens when mama carries you in that envelope of water. Y'all got it? Overwhelmed in water. You say, no, I can't buy that. Well, how was you born? Did you crawl out under a rock? I think that's the only way we get here, right? Or sometimes there's some complications and we have to do some things, but a normal birth is we uh, come out from that sack of water. So he's saying the same thing. You've got to be born of the flesh, and then you've got to be born of the spirit. So you've got to be born twice to go to heaven. But if you say, not me, I'm only going to be born once, then you go to hell. I can't help it. That's just the way it is. Your flesh is not good enough to get within a thousand miles of the holy presence of our God. But when you're born again, you get his nature. So, look at the body promise. The baptism united them all into one body, the church. He, in Galatians 3, 26 and 28, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6, he talks about the universality of it, all, all. He talks about the equality of it, no racial, no gender, no status barriers. There, there's no race barriers. There's no positions in life barriers. It takes all of that, and it makes one. What a promise. Blue collar, white collar, green collar, yellow collar, ring around the collar. It takes us all. And when he baptizes us, he baptizes us for our salvation. Then he baptizes us into his body, the church of the living God. That has to happen. That's who we are, the body. So I don't like going to church. Well, then you might as well check out your salvation. Because the Holy Ghost loves to go to church. Because every time he goes to church, there's a Holy Ghost everywhere. Holy Ghost sitting beside him. Holy Ghost sitting in front of him. Holy Ghost singing in the choir. Holy Ghost taking up the offering. Holy Ghost greeting at the door. Holy Ghost everywhere. Yeah. Folks, when you get baptized with the Holy Ghost, you will want to be with God's people. Look, look, go back to Acts. I'm still preaching in Acts. I know you don't think I am, but I am. Don't you notice? He, he says, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized many with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. But notice what happened before that in verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. Those who didn't come to Sunday night services, and those who didn't care where they got the Sunday morning or not, and those who didn't really care too much about church didn't get in on this. They were assembled together, and God said, wait. 
We know 500 saw him, in my opinion, over 500 saw him because they said 500 saw him at one time. So we know at least that many saw him, but yet when it got down to the end of 10 days, there was only 120 of them. That's why you sometimes have a decline in your church. You see, there's some preaching folks can't take. You see, if they have to get under Holy Ghost preaching, if they have to get under Holy Ghost conviction, they'll just go somewhere else where they come out feeling really good. They can just live in sin, live like hell. They can live any way they want to. And they walk out just happy and happy and happy and happy. Happy all the way to the lake of fire. So it's a body promise. I'm glad I'm in the body, aren't you? I'm glad I'm in the body. It's the best body I've ever been in. (laughs) I ain't got much one here. But I'm glad I'm in the body of Christ. That's the church of Jesus Christ. You know what that? So you see three things. An assembled people in verse 4. An appointed place in verse 4. You not only are supposed to assemble. By the way, Thomas didn't believe it. and He didn't come on Sunday night. He missed Jesus walking through the wall. I wouldn't have missed that for nothing. Somebody told me tonight somebody was going to walk through that wall from outside. I'd be here. I wouldn't miss it. Would you? They didn't know what was going to happen, but he missed it. So there was an assembled people, and there was an appointed place. You need a local church to go to. You don't need to just go here, there, and everywhere. Oh, you say, well, I think I can go to this church and this well, a while and this church a while and this church. No, you can't. You can go there, but you can't be of any value to anybody unless you commit yourself in a loyal, Holy Ghost-filled way to your local church. I love our church. I love being a member of our church. If, if, if somehow that I have to quit preaching when I'm about 80 and, and I'm going to still be a member of this church. And if I can spit out an amen every now and then, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take my red band out, and I'm going to spit. (laughs) Amen. Then I put it back in. But I want to show you something else. Look, as assembled people, that's the upper room. There's an appointed place, that's Jerusalem. Find you a local church. There's an assured promise. That's in verse 5. He who had been with them would now be in them and them in him, his body. I think I've made that clear. If you don't believe that, go and read John 14, 15, and 16. It'll just make you want to shout. That day is marked off as unique. Ten days later, Jesus showed up on the day of Pentecost. And I'm telling you, that mighty wind blew through that place. And they couldn't see the wind, but they could feel it. And when I got saved, I didn't see the wind. I didn't see him walk up over the steps. I didn't see him walk down there and take an old, old, old half-intoxicated, uh, uh, hungover teenager or 23-year-old guy on the bottom. Look, nobody, nobody knew. Nobody knew, but the Holy Ghost knew. I didn't see him come in. I didn't see him do anything, but I heard him talk to my heart that day. And that day, I didn't see him slip through my belly button and get up in me somehow. But he went through my body just like he did the wall <laughs> and filled me with the Holy Spirit. 
And as a, from that day forth, I cannot lose my salvation because the Bible says, Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14, next time somebody wants to argue with you about it, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, the Bible says we're sealed with the Holy Ghost of promise. When God said, I give you the promise, he said it, it, it maintains safety, it maintains security, and it maintains eternal security. So I don't believe in eternal security. You've got another problem. You're trying to go with works. Well, what if something happens after you sin? So what? Something's going to happen after you sin. I'll guarantee you that there won't be 15 minutes before every one of you gets out this door that somebody don't sin. If you won't do it, I will. I'll just show you can. Because listen to me. If I had to worry about what, if, if I were to stop at that demon-possessed red light down there, and I had to worry about if I said the wrong word right there, I'd lose my salvation, I would be miserable inside. But thank God, that demon-possessed red light, he may make me mad, he may get under my skin, but he can't get me sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's a birth promise. It's a beginning promise. Acts eleven fifteen, And then here's the baptism power. And I got to quit. Verse 6 through 8. They thought it was power to overthrow Rome and restore the kingdom to Israel. God says, yes, that's going to happen. But that's not the authority you have. It's not the authority we have. We don't have a right to set up an earthly kingdom. We have an earthly body. We have an earthly family called the church of the living God. It's the universal church and it's the local church. And God said, you don't worry about the kingdom. I'll take care of that. But you take care. Look, here's the purpose, verse 8. The baptism's purpose. You take care of getting folks saved. Because my purpose of filling you is to witness for Jesus Christ. He said, I've never witnessed in my whole life. You will when you get a good dose. Yeah, you will. It may be awkward. It may not be good. You may not even be able to read. Just take your track. As a guy in Jacksonville, Florida, one year he led, what, 56 peoples of the Lord. Couldn't read or write. But he took one of the tracks, had the gospel plan of salvation on it, and he'd go up to somebody and he'd say, he'd say, would you read this to me? I can't read. And they'd read the gospel and he'd say, you know, I've already done that, have you? And he went into Christ. Hey, any way of work, just get them to Jesus and he'll fill them, all right? Uh, the key verse of the entire book of Acts, remember this, and I'm done. I got, I, I'm not through, but I'm done. Verse, verse 8 is the key verse of the entire book of Acts. And I'll explain it to you come next week. <laughs>